I'm Pastor JP. Welcome. We are so glad you are checking us out online. We hope the word you're about to hear is an encouraging point in your life today. So we're praying for you. We love you. Stay tuned. In the early 1950s, a struggling little company named the Rocket Chemical Company had a little team of three people, a little lab in San Diego, California, was trying to come up with some type of rust prevention solvent for the aerospace industry. And it took them several attempts, many attempts to come up with something to try to displace water in a way that was what the aerospace industry needed and eventually after many many tries they they finally came up with a, a formula that worked and it has worked so well that we still use it today and and that that formula they got right on the 40th try and that's how we got WD-40 water displacement that's what the WD is and it happened on the 40th try. And then they didn't need, notice, notice we don't have WD-41. They got it on 40. And that's how it's been ever since. WD-40. Convera, an aerospace company, started using it on the Atlas missiles coating it to help prevent rust and corrosion, which I think is pretty important on missiles. But what happened was that employees started sneaking cans of WD-40 home and using it on all kinds of stuff because they found out this stuff works like on bicycle chains and door hinges and anything, they, they started using it to help get tar off the bottom of their automobiles and found out that it would help with rust and, and, and removing you know, stains and stuff like that off of their tools, adhesive, sticky stuff off of labels and such, off of things. And so eventually they, they found out, well, this stuff Man, this stuff is good for all kinds of stuff. And over the decades, WD-40 has been used for all kinds of stuff. I mean, the stories have gotten crazy on what WD-40 has been used for, and I'm sure some of you have used it for some stuff. Over in Asia, a bus driver is said to have used some WD-40 to help remove a python snake off of the bottom of one of his buses. There's, it is a news story out there of some years back of police officers using several cans of WD-40 to remove a naked burglar out of a trapped, who was trapped inside of a, an air vent, an air conditioning vent. I'd like to be on the news for that. That's five minutes of fame I would want back. Not only about you, but we love, especially dads, we love the universal practicalness 
of WD-40. I mean, it's right up there with duct tape and Windex. You know what I'm saying? And in the Bible, we see oil used symbolically, especially to anoint people and things. We see it here in 133. And in, in this anointing of oil, running down, see, uh, this, this anointing oil was this way of confirming, giving witness that God has placed his spirit on someone or something. And in the instance of 133, it even goes so far to talk about and invoke Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest of God. And, and the reason why it invokes Aaron is because it talks about how the oil runs, oil runs down, Aaron, and onto his collar. And so it, it is invoking the nation and the, and the people of God by invoking the imagery there is that the anointing is running off of Aaron and onto the breastplate, and that was the symbol of the 12 tribes. There were stones on the collar and on the breastplate that symbolized the, the 12 tribes and all the people. There was a stone for each tribe. And, and it makes sense that there is this notion of, and the oil, the consecrated oil, and the setting apart, this symbolic anointing, God's presence and spirit is covering his priest, and yet all the people, it makes sense that it's the opening principle of 133, giving the, the principle that it first states how good and Pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Because how else are people supposed to live together and be good and pleasant like ever without something? Helping without something flowing. And the, the anointing flows. It's flowing. Flowing down, it says, off of Aaron and down his beard, and the spirit can flow. It can flow into everyone's life. And where it flows, where it is allowed to flow, there can be goodness and there can be pleasantness and there can be unity. It even goes on to talk about there can be blessing and salvation evermore. Now, I want you to imagine. Now, you gotta, there's a practicalness to all of this, okay? There's a practicalness to this. Now, I'm, go with me here, okay? Because remember what's happening with the, with the songs of ascent. Tens of thousands of people are converging on country roads that lead to Jerusalem. And then tens of thousands, possibly at times hundreds of thousands of people, are now filling up Zion. Three times a year, 
as much as three times a year. They're coming from all over, all types of tribes, all types of family units. And, and they're coming in for worship and for the feasts and for the festivals. And then, you know, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people squeezed into very tiny space. A lot of people, little space. That is a lot of people in very close proximity. There's bound to be friction. And it kind of makes sense that one of the last songs being sung is about pleasantness and goodness and about unity. It kind of makes sense as like all these people who've been on a very long trip, tired, hungry. You ever been on a long road trip? with tired and hungry people. And then y'all show up and you get into town and ain't no more room at the inn. And you gotta, you gotta go rent a tent outside and stay outside of town and you gotta wait in a long line to use the restroom. And you, and you, you gotta go figure out where to, where to go get food and how you're gonna handle the week. Listen, there's tens of thousands of people, and they didn't have the modern facilities and structures we have today. And think how impatient we get today. They didn't have, you know, grub to go. There was no Wi-Fi or Ubers. Unity had to, had to be like intentional. And I mean, what is the, what is the point of, of making the trip if you show up cranky and bitter and cynical and sad and frustrated? Have you ever been around people like that? I got a witness. And in the Bible, we, we read often about the disciples being filled. Acts, Acts 13, 52 says, and the disciples... Disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We see this connection of the Holy Spirit and joy all over the place. In Acts 2.28, it speaks of Jesus saying, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now, I don't know about you, but life is full of frustration and sorrow and grief and disappointment. The list goes on and on. And, and, and sometimes it's circumstances outside of our control. Now think about this. Dad, dad comes home from work. You, you work hard all day. People are frustrating. And, 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 you, and you, on the way home, after getting home already late, you, you get a flat tire. And it's a new set of tires. That's just, mm, that's enough to make pre preacher cuss. And you get a flat tire. And then you finally get it changed and you pull in the driveway and you look over and the kids have left the water hose on all night and day. And you go, oh my goodness. I can't wait to get that water bill. And then you, then you go and you go up to the door and your spouse meets you there at the door with the toolbox because the washer is out again. And the laundry is backed up. And then you go, and your little kids now have been playing in the mud all day. 
They're happy to see you. Daddy's home and they wrap their little muddy hands and arms all around your britches. That means pants. All around your pants. And they got mud all over you. Because they're just excited to see you. They don't know what kind of day you had. And your first inclination is you just want to kick both legs and send those little youngins into space. (laughs) You want to yell, kick, and scream. But you don't. You don't do that. Because, see, that morning, see, that morning, first thing that morning, you and the Holy Spirit, see, you and the Holy Spirit had a talk. And the first thing that morning, see, you had a session. See, you got up right out the gate. And you had a little bit of time. See, you had a little bit of time. And because you already had your time, you were already covered with that oil of joy. And the more, look, you, you, you have five minutes with the oil of joy, you're only going to have five minutes. Five minutes worth of this stuff. You see what I'm saying? But let's say you spent some time. You, you went through it several times with the Holy Ghost. And you got a good coat of the oil of joy. And all day long, despite the friction of life that came your, your way, nothing caught fire. You didn't hit nobody. You didn't slap nobody. You didn't, you didn't say anything mean. Listen, if you got a temper, maybe what you need is a little squirt. You ain't got no emotional energy to give your family the right kind of love and care they need. Maybe you need a little squirt. You want to, hey, that guy cut you off in script? Yeah, he cut you off? Maybe he needs a little squirt. Maybe they need a little squirt. Can you imagine what I could get if I could sell this in a can? Can you imagine what we could raise for missions if we could put this in a can? Listen, I know that washer, you want to you yank it out of the wall and turn it into a piñata in your front yard. But because you're covered and you've got that oil of joy on you and you've let the Holy Spirit coach you, run down you, you've, you've let it sink in. You've you've let it get in there into that old and broken and rusty gears on the inside. You've let it run. See, see, now you see why you need them. Now you see why you... Listen, good and pleasant in unity doesn't just happen. You, You need the Holy Spirit. 
You keep thinking, oh, if I just had time to myself, if, if I just had time off, if I just made more money, if, I, if my spouse would just lay off, if my boss would just understand, if I would just, it's always something or someone out there that keeps you from finding joy when all you really need is to find, get you just a little bit more of the Holy Spirit in your life, you find that stuff would just run right off of you. Hey, that squeaky wheel, you've heard the saying, that wheel that squeaks the loudest may get the oil. It also is the first one that gets replaced. God says, I sent my spirit so you don't, you don't have to search any longer. Maybe it's not about something or someone. He says, I'm the oil of joy, and I work great in any condition. And it's been that way for a long time. He's been that way for a long time. Now, it doesn't get any more practical than that, does it? That oil of joy. Now, listen, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you walk around and act like nothing can get you down. I'm just saying that with the Holy Spirit, nothing can keep you down. That's what I'm saying. You, you want a good and pleasant unified home? That, that's what... You want good and pleasant unified children? Good and pleasant unified church? You see what I'm saying? Now listen, it's not just the oil of joy. We, we know, we see in Scripture in the old and the new. We know it's also not just the oil of joy. We know it's also the oil of healing. We, we t- it talks about spiritual healing. It talks about physical healing. James 5, 14, if any of you are sick, you should call on the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Just the other day, Walking through a few weeks back, someone was, um, had a group of people walking through the building just checking things out and complimenting our, our campus and, and they were complimenting our prayer hubs and talking about, oh, this is so neat. And then they saw the little bottle of oil and they said, now what is this for? They said, now what is this for? And they were believers. And they said, what is this for? And I said, well... Let me tell you, this is, this is anointing oil. And what we do with this, the Bible says that we anoint, that the Bible tells us, like James 5, 14, that, you know, if someone said we could pray over them, anoint them in oil. Now, we don't believe there's anything special in and about the oil itself. It doesn't have any power in and of itself. It is, it is symbolic. We believe that when we do that, we are engaging our faith because we are trusting that when, when we do this, that the Holy Spirit, when we apply the oil, what we really believe is that the Holy Spirit is being applied. It's not about the oil. It's an act of faith. We believe we are applying the Holy Spirit to apply healing and to do a work in somebody's life. And they were like, oh. I thought, would you like it? You could take it. And you can use any kind of oil. And I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, we do this. Maybe we should do this. 
You know what I'm saying? John 14, 26 talks about, but the, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. This talks about the Holy Spirit that serves us in a way that brings wholeness mentally and, and, and spiritually. That there's, there's all manner of ways in which the Holy Spirit longs to bring wholeness and healing into our lives. Now, how many times do, we, do things go wrong and we think to ourselves, I can fix this. I can fix this. I can make this right. I can, I can do this. And, and there are times in which we should take action to, to do this. There's responsibilities we have to try to make things right. But listen, friends, sometimes we heap coals on our own heads thinking that if we try hard enough, we can erase the ugly things we've done or said or the painful actions we have committed. And maybe, just maybe, we are forgiven by others. Maybe we are released by others. Maybe, maybe we find reconciliation with others. But friends, you cannot heal thyself. You can't heal thyself. You need a forgiver, someone outside of yourself. You can't forgive yourself. Bury that guilt and shame deep down inside, and it'll only eat away at you. Jesus said it himself. It was prophesied in Isaiah 63, and Jesus said it again, and we read about it in Luke. And Jesus maybe is saying it to you today. He says, listen, I'm anointed. It's as if he's got the can. And he says, I'm anointed. The same Holy Spirit has anointed me to preach the good news. And this anointing, this anointing I have can bind up the brokenhearted. This anointing I have, it can free up the captives. This anointing I have, it can release prisoners from darkness. This anointing that I have, I can pour on you, I can drench you with, and it can proclaim favor over your life. This anointing I have can comfort you who are mourning. This anointing I have, it, oh, it can provide for those who are suffering, this anointing I have, oh, it gets in there and you mix it with ashes and it can make something beautiful. He says, this anointing I have is the oil of joy. And it can give you a garment of praise and cast off that spirit of heaviness. It's the oil of the Holy Spirit that when it's applied, it's soul maintenance, it's life maintenance. Why we don't walk around looking like this every day, I don't know. But this is how our soul should look. Because we can't maintain pleasantness and goodness and unity without it. We need it. We need it. We need the oil of joy. We need the oil of healing. We also know we also know it's the oil of purpose. See, the anointing signified that God was staking a claim. It was staking a claim. People and things were anointed 
See, things, things and people were anointed because when they were, it meant that that belonged to God. The oil was consecrated and made holy, and then when that, anoint, when that holy oil was applied to an object or applied to a person, it now meant God owns it. And if God owns it, that means God gets to use it however God wants to use it. God has staked his claim on that thing or on that person. You see what I'm saying? So if God has anointed it, God has a purpose for it because he don't just go around just soaking people with his anointing for the fun of it. It means he has a purpose. It means there's an assignment. The anointing is God's presence working on somebody's life because he has a purpose for that purpose, for that person. So now, now go with me. So if God has anointed a person, that means he has an assignment for them. Now everybody wants the anointing. Everybody wants the reward that comes with that anointing, but not everybody wants the responsibility that comes with the anointing. But if you want the anointing, you gotta take the responsibility that comes with it. In Psalm 133, there at the top, most of your scriptures will say, the Psalm, a Psalm of David. It is the last Psalm of David in the Psalms of Ascent. It means giving credit to David as his author. And it's befitting that it talks about this anointing. If you think about it, and you remember the day that, that David himself was anointed. That's an interesting story. You remember the day that scripture talks about when David was anointed king? When he was just a kid? He was anointed by the prophet Samuel. Samuel had anointed the last king. And the last king's name was Saul. And Saul looked like a king, walked like a king, talked like a king. He was the king. Everybody said, now there's a king. And so Samuel anointed him king, and God allowed it. And he crashed and burned, crashed and burned. And so now they needed to anoint a new king, and God said, I'm going to pick this one out. So Samuel, go. Go, and I'm going to anoint a new king out of, the, out of the family of Jesse. And so Samuel goes, and the scripture says in 1 Samuel, and, and the scripture says, and when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So Eliab must have looked the part. He must have looked kind of like Saul. Look kingly, talk kingly, acted kingly. Now here's a king. But God said, nope, not it. And so Samuel says, it's not Eliab. It's not the, the first, it's not the firstborn. So go get the rest of your sons. And they line them up. All right, son number two. Nope, not it. Son number three. Nope, next. Son number four. And they go down the line. Seven sons of Jesse. Not a one of them, not a one of them 
Finally, Samuel looks at Jesse and says, hey, dude, uh, you got any more kids? Because somebody missed God here or what's, what's happening? And he says, well, there's one more, the youngest. I, he's out tending sheep. And he says, well, go get him. And so in walks David. Little David, little David, listen, y'all. He wasn't left off the list. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't even on the list. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't the bottom, I should say, of the list. Listen, the dude can't even stand up. He had to sit. Look at little David. He was an afterthought. Human eyes. Just an afterthought. Left out. Wasn't even included in the lineup. And I know we look at that story and we think, my goodness, he was left out. Maybe he wasn't left out. Maybe he was just set apart. Friends, you, maybe, maybe God sees you. Maybe he knows exactly where you are. Maybe it may seem like you're invisible, like you're not significant. Maybe it may feel that way to you right now. But it's the things that no one sees that produce the results that everybody wants. David wasn't visible, but it didn't mean he wasn't valuable. And just because you're not visible or just because you think you're not seen doesn't mean you're not valuable to God's eye. And it most certainly doesn't mean that God doesn't have an anointing on your life. You see what I'm saying? Because it, it, God anointed him right then and there. Put an anointing on his life. Samuel pours that anointing oil on him, and the Bible says from that day forward, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. Now listen, listen, David, man, he had a lot of ups and downs from that point forward, did he not? Man, he had some great highs had some great victories, and he committed some, some pretty bad things and had some pretty, pretty low days. But one thing is for certain, it didn't change the fact that the presence and the anointing of God was on his life. He was a man after God's own heart. And the same can be true for you. Because here's the, here's the truth. If you stay faithful... To your purpose, God will stay faithful with his anointing. There'll be joy. There'll be joy. There'll be healing. Yeah, you'll mess up, but God can heal. And yeah, you stay faithful. You hang in there. It doesn't cancel your purpose, your assignment. We stay faithful with our purpose. God will stay faithful with his anointing. This whole series has been about ascending. It's been about how we just, we just keep growing. Three times a year, they had to stop everything they were doing and, and get 
get their heart and their life and their and everything about make sure that that the alignment of their whole world was was focused like it should be on the Lord. And if there was anything off track, anything that was not like it should be, this was the moment to get it right back on track. And every year they ascended. Nobody, nobody ever graduated out of this process. Nobody, nobody got to level like 10 and said, well, I arrived. I don't get to do this anymore. First Corinthians says, we with unveiled faces are transformed from glory to glory to glory to glory, which is by the Lord who is the Spirit. Listen, this is an ongoing process whereby any time, at any moment, at any chance, at any morning, afternoon, Evening, any Sunday, Wednesday night, any, any time we, we get the opportunity, we should take advantage of any moment we can allow the Holy Spirit to apply another coat. Because I don't know what's about to happen in the next few moments few moments after that or a few moments after that or a few moments after that but I do know what can give me joy in it what can bring me healing through it and what can help keep me on assignment no matter what it is and that is the presence of God continually at work in and through my life. So, yeah. One little dab that I got 15 years ago won't do. Won't do. No, I need it fresh and anew every day. Any moment, every moment. We need this. As the scripture says, as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. In just a few moments, we're going to take the bread and the cup. I'm going to ask the ushers if they'll make themselves ready in case someone hasn't been served the bread and the cup. If you lift your hand now, I'm sure they will be happy to serve you the bread and the cup over the next few moments. We see this promise, this promise right here, even life forevermore. We see it right here in the bread and the cup. For a thousand years, they sang this song as a prayer. We get to read it and see it fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. 
because the blessing has been given. Jesus has made a way. Life evermore. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. Set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. What a promise. Life evermore. He's anointed us freely, sealed us, put his ownership on us, his spirit within us, and has guaranteed life evermore. All we have to do is accept Believe, confess. If we believe in our heart, confess Jesus is Lord. Believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. We'll be saved. I tell you, that's a pretty good promise life evermore. Thanks for joining us again. We hope today's word was a blessing to you, maybe even challenged and inspired you. We'd love to connect with you, serve you in any way. Go to mynorthside.church, click the link for us to connect. We are praying for you. We believe that God has great things in store for you. We'll see you next time.